Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, as James quite rightly said, I am a new dad. Um, And it's like, it feels like I've been away for so, so long. And my first Sunday night back and I'm speaking at it. So that's uh, that's just like jumping right back into the, the swing of things. So I'm really excited about um, what I'm going to share tonight and um, how tonight is going to unfold because already God is doing something so mightily powerful. So we are continuing our 360 series. Um, this, this series that we're doing is about how we look at ourselves and how we actually become ministers and we affect the world around us. And it's, and it's been this journey, this exploration about what God has put in the inside of us to really and really maximize that so then we can maximize our impact in the world around us. And I, I love this series and I know that tonight is going to be a great night um, because our Sunday nights have just been fantastic. Like God has been doing something in our hearts, in, in these, these spaces that just, I don't know what it is about the Sunday nights, but they just give God a bit of a lack of a, I can't think of a better way to say this, but a bit of a different space to do something that he wouldn't ordinarily do through the day. It's like how the Bible talks about midnight. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. At midnight, these things happened. They, they, gro- go, they got up early. In other words, when, when it wasn't convenient, when it wasn't easy, they made space and God did something powerful. And I know that's what God is going to do tonight. And I'm going to continue from this, um, with this series. Um, my teaching is going to be from uh, Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Um, you can turn there with me and they're going to put it up on the screen in a second. Um, if you, maybe if you're wondering, you don't have to have a Bible this big. Um, the reason I do is not because I'm holy, it's because I've been practicing how to hold a baby. <laughs> so it's, it's actually a fair weight to it. So, you know, so um, people are surprised. Like, oh, wow, you can hold Isabella with one hand. You know, I can hold her with one hand and rub Heidi's back with the other hand and type emails with my foot. Oh, no, I'm joking. But, um, but yeah, it's good. So Luke chapter... Five and verse one. So, so it was about the. And um, this is Jesus. He's now started his ministry. He's he's um just he's healed Peter's mother-in-law. He's he's um, cast out demons. He's talking about the kingdom of God. Now he's he's preaching to a massive crowd. And we pick up this up in Luke chapter five and verse one. So it was as a multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, um, which is also the Sea of Galilee, Sea of Tiberias. You'll read in other places as well. And saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which is Simon's, and asked them to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will lay down, let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. 
So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Let's quickly pray and we'll, um, we'll get into this tonight. Holy Spirit, we thank you for what you've been doing through this series. We thank you, Lord, that this is not just a moment in time, but it's a point where we can connect to your eternal plan for our lives in this church, God. I thank you, Lord, that you're going to move powerfully tonight. And Lord, through the words that I speak, which you have given to me, you are going to launch us into the next thing that you have for us. We thank you, Lord, that you're launching us into the next season in this church. And Lord, that we are fruitful and we will multiply because of the word in which you've given us over this, this season, God. And it's by your matchless name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the title of the teaching tonight is called 360 Revival. 360 Revival. Now, there's been a lot of talk of revivals over the, over the decades, over the millennia that have passed. There's been many different revivals and things happen. Generally speaking, in the church world, we think a revival is linked to um, you know, God meets with the people in a place and, and just things happen that are just crazy that wouldn't happen any other way. And um, that's what we would generally think of as revival. But there's more to revival than that. And there's, um, and there's a few things how, I guess, how people have kind of perceived how revivals happen. You know, people think it's kind of like the divine will and power of God where um, God goes to a place and just shows off and there's nothing that people can do about it. You know, like people get healed, people like, it's, it's crazy and it feels like man has absolutely no say in the matter. And, and I guess there is some element of that is the power of God after all. But, but then there's people that think it's about prayerful and careful planning. That we're going to put this in the calendar, we're going to invite these people, you know, there's, there's going to, we're going to have a good keyboardist, you know, and we're, going to, and we're going to play these songs and God's going to move in this way. And, and it's very careful and it's very prayerful planning and that's what facilitates a move of God. Now there's an element of that and there's other people that believe that, that it's, it's when, when the circumstances align, you know, where, where people, where there's, there's, you know, there's a certain um, climate, there's enough money, there's all these things that line up and then you can have a move of God. And you, you have in history, you have people like um, Martin Luther, for example, where he was a reformer, but there's somebody a hundred years earlier than him called John Huss. And he believed the exact same things, but the, the circumstances were slightly different. So people would think, okay, because those circumstances didn't align, maybe it, we just needed to wait, or maybe we just needed to wait for things to align and then God's going to move. And then there's another group of people who believe if you just get a hold of this, and understand that God has actually put a pattern in this scriptures for us to live our lives. And through the New Testament, you actually see how we can be commissioned and empowered to do the work that he's saying. He says, greater works than these you will do. If, you, if we just believe that we can actually see church grow, we can see people come to know Jesus through just believing in his word and acting in accordance to that, that is enough to see revival. Yeah. And these are the people that, generally speaking, go around the, um, the world building what we would see as um, the apostolic churches. Yeah. They're the kind of people that we'd see. So in our story, um, we have what I would say are the, the, um, the corners of revival, the points of revival, the three C's of revival. There's so many different words, as you can tell, um, of me describing what I was going to call this message. But these are the, the components yeah. of what a revival is. Yeah. Um, and what revival is in our, in our lives, um, just to kind of give us a working definition of revival. Revival is literally this. Revival is renewed interest 
after a period of decline. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be like, you know, like gold dust falling from the sky. It's, it's renewed interest after a period of decline. And whether that decline is 10 seconds or 10 decades, it's, it's, whether, it's how we, as Pastor Kevin was saying, turn our hearts to receive what God wants us to receive. And then we can have a revival in our everyday. Yeah. And as ministers, as this series is about, we are, trained, we are trained and equipped by God, empowered to be ministers, then we are actually agents of revival. Yeah. We are agents of revival because of what God is doing in us, what God has blessed us with, and what God has has commissioned for us. We are agents of revival. Now, I'm going to put my um, message in a sentence because I like to do that because it helps me keep on track and try to squeeze things into um, a half-hour time frame. So if I can't put it in a sentence, then it's obviously too much. So here is my message, entire message in a sentence, and it's this. As agents of revival, as effective ministers, we lead ourselves and others through the crises, which is C-R-I-S-E-S, which is plural of crisis, just in case. (laughs) Through the crises, because there's not just one crisis, there's crises of life to position people to receive and catch revelation from God and to walk effectively in the call of God. I'll say that again. (laughs) As agents of revival, we are effective ministers when we lead ourselves and others through the crises of life to position people to catch revelation from God and to walk perfectly in the call of God. That's what we do as ministers. That's what we do as agents of revival. And that is how we live every moment as an opportunity to bring revival. Whether it's in our lives or somebody else's life, my life is a benefit to those around me because I am an agent of revival. So if somebody's feeling down, I have enough resource in me to bring revival to their life. In other words, my life, to to measure how effective I am in ministry as a minister, my life has to benefit someone else's life. That's simply it. How we benefit someone else is how we walk in effective ministry. Now, if you remembered my sentence, <laughs> you may remember my three, the, three, um, the three waypoints which we're going we're gonna to go tonight, and then we're going to have an awesome time. Um, so, <laughs> in prayer. All right. So, the first is the crisis. The next is the catch. And third is the call. These are the components of revival. The crisis, the catch, the call. Now, our lives aren't as compartmentalized as that, I get you. I really understand that. And so it's hard to break down our lives into those neat little packages because things move so fast that we, so we don't really know where one begins and one ends. Our life is in constant transition. I hope you understand that. that we're, our life is fluid. It's on the move. But this text, which I just read from, helps break down what Jesus was doing and how we can actually enter into revival, or better yet, actually see revival wherever we are, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our families. We can see revival in these places based on what Jesus has said in this text. In Luke 5 and verse 1, Jesus is preaching to a crowd. He's preaching to um, people that are... They're kind of hungry to hear from him. So they've come to him, and it says here in verse 1, it says, So as a multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood 
that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. So these people, these fishermen, were the ones that were going to receive revival. You ever find that funny how multitudes press into him, but only handfuls get? You ever find that? It's just... There's something in that. There's where, where God sometimes, where he, where he may move in a crowd, but he he's transforms handfuls. And these handfuls then go on to change the world, which we then read in later in the Gospels. But here we have these fishermen. So they'd gone from the, the multitudes, and they have, they're now washing their nets because they're out the night before. And um, the way fishing, fishing works in these days is that you'd fish at the cool of night where the fish, they wouldn't, they wouldn't um, be at the, the base of the, the lake or whatever. They would rise to the surface so it's cool. And then they would throw the nets on and they wouldn't see it for the dark of night. So that's where they would, that's where they would optimal, that was their optimal place for fishing. So that's what they're doing. So by the day, they were washing the nets. But then Jesus, this is where he comes in. He says, then he got into one of the boats their livelihood, he began to use that as a pulpit to preach from. He'd gone to his boats and asked him to put out a little. And so then imagine the scene here. This is, this is the boat. And then around here, it's kind of like the way it was. It was kind of like an amphitheater. So it was quite strategic of Jesus to, to do this because around him, the so people could press in and many people can hear him because they just surrounded this port. So he was just preaching and, and teaching to these crowds. And then he says something quite astonishing. In, um, in, verse, in, um, in verse 4, he says, when he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And in verse 5, but Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Stop there, right? We find the crisis. Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Now, that was their crisis. Their crisis was they've been doing their job and not doing their job well. <laughs> Things happened and, you know, whether it was, you know, like uh, somebody polluted the lake or whatever, we don't know. We just know that they didn't catch a thing. You know, not a cod, not a, not a haddock, not a place in that place. <laughs> ah, somebody got it. Awesome. <laughs> That's a dad joke. Yeah. Yes, yeah. deal with it. Um, <laughs> So they didn't catch anything. They weren't doing their job well. And so then, so then they're, they're in this crisis. Now, we, may, be, we not, may not recognize crisis or we may not have the same experience they did, but we all have these parts of our lives that I would call a crisis and certainly God would call a crisis that there's these moments where we have fruitless activity. Yeah. Things that we do, the, the thoughts that we think, the things that we believe that don't actually produce the fruit. And that is a crisis. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Like, crises, for the most part, we don't prefer them. But let me, just, let me just give you some hope here that crisis, a crisis is your friend. It's not a part that gets so many amens, but a crisis <laughs> is your friend. And what do I mean by that? For example... There are many things that are a crisis to my life now that wouldn't have been a crisis before. For example, as, um, as a believer um, versus not being a believer, a believer, I never had to struggle with sin. As a non-believer, I never had to struggle with sin. But it's a good crisis to have because if I were to choose, I would rather choose to struggle with sin than to live in sin. Yeah. 
You know, I've had struggles in, in marriage, and goodness are they struggles, right? <laughs> but I can tell you that I would honestly rather struggle in marriage rather than settle for a, a life that, is, that doesn't produce anything. There's no, there's no friendship, there's no fruit, there's no productivity, there's no, there's no anything, there's no overflow. I'd rather much struggle than, than to settle for, for something mundane. I'd rather struggle in my faith rather than to settle for unbelief. I'd rather struggle to press into God rather than to, to settle for living a life devoid of Him. I would rather struggle reaching people for Christ than to watch as they just, as they just like helplessly go to lands before the slaughter. I would rather be able to step out because the crisis is our friend. For this reason that it actually tells us that there's a preferred outcome. There's something in crisis that it it, it reminds us there's actually a seed of hope. There's a seed of hope beginning to sprout out that if you just, if you just pay attention to this, this is going to grow. This is what is under the surface. This is something that's going to produce a harvest, but it may not be sprouted yet, but it's there. It may not be, it may not be visible, but I can tell you because it's under the surface that it's getting the nutrients and stuff that it needs to grow. But at this time, it might not just be so. That's, that is just how crises help us, but they are our friend. But let me tell you there, a casual friend. They're a casual friend. And let me explain what I mean by that. A casual friend that, you know, you pass in the street and just say, hey, how you doing? Yeah. Hey, how you doing? I'm good, you? Ah, oh, not bad. Busy, busy, busy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the level of friendship that we have with our crisis. And there's good reason for that. It's because they're only simply a reminder that there's better ahead. We don't have coffee. We don't have, we don't have community groups around our crisis. We, we leave the past in the past and we move on to what God is calling us yeah, to. But the thing is, if we're going to stop making our crisis like our best buddy, we have to be interruptible. Have to be able to be interrupted. I mean, this week, I'm not going to lie... Um, I wish I had a lot more time to myself to just kind of get some thoughts together and stuff. But man, I got interrupted so much. And and this afternoon, there's a crying baby while I'm trying to think. And it's like, what? You know, we have to be interruptible. Because life is fluid and there's nothing, we're not static. We're ministers wherever we are. So if you can imagine your life is as um, not linear, but a field... And then in that field, there's the possibility of so many interactions that you don't know what the person next to you is going through. You don't know what um, your, your brother that you hadn't spoken to in a few days has just been through. But you being, unint- being uninterruptible, rather, sorry, interruptible, you can actually be a minister in their crisis that you don't know about yet. So it's in that being, inter- in that being interrupted that God can actually speak into your life. And in this situation, we have Jesus who was, who was, um, he was interrupting their regularly scheduled programming in that they, they fish by night and they wash by day. They fish by night and they wash by day. They fish by night and they wash by day. Here comes Jesus. Let me preach from your boat. Now you're going to fish how I tell you to fish. But there's a problem. Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. I love this. This is one of the best words you'll read in scripture. Master, we toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, nevertheless, at your word, 
I will lay down the net. See, in our crisis, when we let Jesus interrupt our regular scheduled programming, we can open up ourselves to see what we've never seen before. I love that. The best thing we can do with our lives is learn to lean our will into his word. Trust not in your own understanding. Lean not into that. In all your ways, acknowledge God. There's a thing about leaning. There's, a, there's, there's, there's things that we don't understand when we lean on things. It's like if you're, to, if you're to imagine me leaning on this drum kit, for example. I'm going to be careful, right? Because it's, it has a history. So if I lean on this drum kit, do I still have a function of all the parts of my body? I don't, I don't have full function of my limbs. I've lost full function of this arm and this leg. True? If I were to injure one of these legs, I would have to have crutches if I couldn't put weight on it. So in having a crutch, I lose the full use of three limbs to hold, and then I'm doing this. We can move, but we don't have any use or full use of what we actually need to use. But let me tell you this. Watch this. When you lean on the word of God, it's the only thing you can lean on that you have full use of everything you've been given. Everything you've been given is fully operational. In fact, even more powerful when you lean your will into his word. That's why in this house we are a worship church. We are a word church because when we lean on him, when we seek his face, when we press into his presence, we have full use of everything that we've been given. We are blessed in him. That's why we worship him. We are blessed in this place. That's why we can lean on him with everything that we have. We are powerful because it's not in our power, not in our might, but in his strength, in his his strength, his word, living in our lives. That's what gives us more power than without him. He is the source of that. But nevertheless, at your words, I will let down the net. So I love this. This is what the central point is where what we think revival is, where we, what we pray for. It's this point, the catch. Now, this is a demonstration of God's nature, his power, and his presence. And it says in verse um, 6, um, and, you're, and when they had done this, they had caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. So they began to sink. But man, alive. Like, <laughs> how, how often does that happen in a normal fisherman's day? You know, that's, that's, like, that's one for the diary. Like, you, you don't forget that sort of catch. After leaning in, they position themselves to catch. That's what we want. That's what we want to do is lean our will, our will into his word to receive a catch. And the catch is a revelation. It's not necessarily an experience, even though an experience can bring that. But it's a revelation. It's like a, oh, wow. Like, it's, it's an awakening. It's something that was there before, but we didn't see it before. There's something that opens up to us when we have that revelation, when we catch something from God, and it opens up our, our world of, our, our mind's world of whatever was possible before. Just, this just shatters that, and it's like, man, I did not know this was possible. And that's how we minister revival. When we have a revelation of God, there's an overflow. There's an overflow 
But watch this. This is something that you may have missed and something that I certainly missed one of the first times I've read this. In, in this version, in the King James as well, there's, there's a little nuance here which is quite spectacular. Um, it says that when Jesus said to him, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered him and said, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. You notice it there? Peter responded, or Simon Peter responded with net when Jesus commanded nets. But look at what happens. When they went to take in the catch, their net was breaking. Now watch this. When things break, it's a sign of abuse or misuse. You've used it in a way that has put too much stress on it. So when we see things breaking in our lives, then that's a sign of abuse. It's a sign of something not quite being used right. Colossians 1.15 would say that everyone, everything in Christ, in Christ all things consist. So if this is all Christ, then surely it will hold together. Yeah. But in this time, he responded with, um, like Pastor Kevin was saying this morning, it wasn't fully submitted to the, his word. It was kind of like a half obedience. But look at the catch of fish in that half obedience. Yeah. That, is, that is ridiculous. And that causes me to think over my own life and is that how often has God blessed me even though I've obeyed him partially? You know, how, how, when have we ever like fully obeyed God without any reservation, without any doubt? When have we ever not like, whether not just jumped in fully. Now we've, we've held a little back. So he says to give this and we think, okay, I'll give that, but I'll take this back. You know, like how often in our own hearts have we done that? But God still blesses us. So come on, how much more do we want to lean into his word? How much more do we want to obey him? How much more do we want to fully trust him at the moment of decision? How much do we want to fully trust him when it comes to reaching out to that person? How much do we want to fully trust him? If he's willing to do that with our disobedience, come on, what can he do with our full obedience? What can he do with our full devotion? What can he do with all our time? What can he do with our first fruits? What can he do? What can he do with that? And with this, with this catch, there's an overflow. There's an overflow of involvement in worship. And when we, when we read on, the, the, um, Simon Peter saw he fell down at Jesus' feet. But before that, he signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help. See, when something's happening, there's always a gathering of people. We saw this in Nehemiah, where Nehemiah had a heart for um, the, the, um, the wall to be rebuilt. And with, with, the, with the heart, with the demand, came the people. We think sometimes, we think if, if, um, if there's people in place, if there's resource in place, then we'll go and act. But Nehemiah is just like, no, no, this is in my heart. I'm going to go. And the king gave him his blessing. But he acted out of an impulse of what God was leading him to, the compassion. And out of the compassion came the resource. We think of things backwards. We think if we, want, if we have the money, then we'll do that. Actually, faith says, I'm going to do it because I know it's already been given to yeah. me yeah. by God. Yeah. And people come and get involved. You'll be surprised when you step out in faith how you, you may feel like you're lonely in it. But when you step out, man, you've got a team around you. 
That's, that's, what, that's what the kingdom of God is. When people step out in faith, it draws people in. You're never alone in the kingdom of God. When you, when you have a vision, there's no isolated vision. Even people like Larry Graham, who recently passed away, he was, an, he was never on his own. He may have stand, stood in the pulpits on his own, but man alive, he had a team of people around him, praying for him, believing him, funding him. These, these, these people, when you're stepping out in faith, you're never alone. And with a catch, there's an overflow of worship. Where Peter was aware of this catch. He was aware of what, um, what, what was in him. He knew he only half obeyed. So when God did this, he, his immediate response is to fall at his knees like, Ah, oh, Jesus, this, you, are, you are so holy compared to me. I didn't trust you. I didn't believe in you. Depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O oh Lord. He just stood in just astonishment. That was his worship. But the thing is, with worship... You're, what you're doing is you're, you're positioning yourself in the position of seeing God's truth. And that is what, that is what, that is what, um, that's the, the basis behind how we can launch at. When we stand in God's truth, when we see him for who he is, it positions us for the catch, a revelation. And then we get a revival in our own hearts. And it leads us to this next point, which is the call. I love Jesus when he said this. He, when he saw Peter on his knees. The first things he said, he didn't say, oh, you should have trusted me. Because Paul said that when the ships went down in Crete. You should have trusted me. But Jesus, he didn't say that. Because <laughs> we all know those people, right? When something goes wrong, oh, yeah, yeah this is when you should have. Right. <laughs> so in verse 10, he says this. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. From now on, you will catch men. This is the call. From now on, you will catch men. Now, what call is, as many talk about what calling is, but this is what calling is. It is a divine appointment. And also when the Bible says we're called to do something, it's, it's like a command based on your position with him. It's like a, it's, it's, you're being appointed, you're being commissioned, and you are being invited into walking this life. That's what called is. Can I tell you, you're all called of God. You're all called to be part of his family. You're all called to see greater works. You're all called into relationship with him. That leads us to seeing great things and seeing revival in all areas of our lives. We won't just be able to see um, healings, even though that's one of the gifts of the Spirit. We won't just be able to see miracles because that's a healing of the Spirit. But, but, but the thing is, we can see restoration of families because of his call. We can see people brought into relationship with God and from seeing estranged families brought together in his call. We can see so many things. We can see churches rise. We can see ministries rise up when, we, when, when people would say that they've, they've been crumbled and there's no turning back. When we actually walk in the call, we can actually walk in what God would say is possible. We walk in the impossible of God when we walk in God's call. That we are divinely appointed. So watch this. In verse 11 it says, So they left. They left that massive catch of fish. They forsook all. Once they brought their boats to the land. They forsook all and followed him. 
Now, I mean, for, for my life, that would be like seeing you know, all of my non-believing friends to come to Jesus. And then just saying, okay, that's done. I'm just going to go this way. How could you leave what God has done so miraculously and follow Jesus? Simply because of this. Because there's more in the way. You'll find that you can't hold on to past miracles because you want room for the future miracles. You can't hold on to some past relationships because you know he's making way for future relationships. You can't hold on to truths that you may have clung to as a child because now when you're going as an adult into full maturity, there's things that he actually wants to clothe you in, things that he wants to anoint you for, that you've got to be able to let that go. Paul said, forgetting what lay behind, I press on to make that my goal, the upper call of Jesus Christ. We make place for that. We don't have room to dwell in the past. We are divinely appointed for his purpose in and through our lives. And the call is also not just a commission. It's also an opportunity for a conversation. We can often miss or misinterpret what a call is because we don't have a conversation. They follow Jesus and on the road of following Jesus... They were open to conversation, to unlock what it was they were truly called for. In our lives, that is how we have revival in each and every area of, of our spheres of influence, of where we think we'll feel God is leading us to. Don't forget to pick up the phone. Don't forget to have that conversation, because it's in that conversation, while you never know when something's coming, Because the promises of God, let me just say this, are always yes in Christ. They're always yes. But we don't get a grip on the when or the how. So which is why we need to keep conversing. We need to talk with Jesus. We need to talk with believers. Because we're not called to do this life on our own. We're called to do this together. Under divine appointment. In other words, this is not of men. This is of God. Divine appointment. How do you talk to God? Because I, I, I don't know about you, but I have times where I have feelings of, um, I guess, what I would call almost like, a, almost like a numbness to hearing the voice of God. Have you been there with me? I mean, like, it's just like a numbness where you think it's God, but you're not quite sure. But how do you know? Well, that's what the Holy Spirit's job is. He is with us, and he actually proclaims the truth of Jesus to us. He is with us and he actually speaks the, the words of God. And how scripture in, in 2 Timothy says that it is God inspired, inspired by God. And it's good for and profitable for teaching for all. This word inspired is what I'm coming to. This word inspired literally means God breathed. God breathed. In other words, when his spirit fills your life, that's when you understand the purposes of God. Knowing when you have the spirit, you, can have, you have direct access to Father God. You have direct access to the plans and purposes of God. When he breathes purpose into you, that's when you're released into something greater than yourself. That call is how we bring revival in all of our lives. and the lives of those around us. It's that call that leads us. To do greater works. To do greater things. 
It's that call that leads us to bring revival as agents of revival in our world to see God do the impossible in and through us. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.junctionchurch.com.